0: the man who wasn't there episode 2 despite my best efforts the yacht didn't sink it stayed above the waterline and that's how it was found the following day and so very quickly the police and many others were alerted to the tragedy that had taken place That the old man couldn't be found. Now, what we'd done had taken place on a sunny afternoon on a holiday, and we'd come back from the yacht in a dinghy to the shore and left a red jacket there, as I told you about yesterday. So, it wouldn't have been hard for police to have put a lot of effort immediately into who was seen, where she, he or they were seen, what they were doing, and when. But it didn't happen that way. I didn't rate my chances too highly when I heard on the news about finding the partially submerged yacht. I thought I would be uh, pulled in within a day or so at most. Instead... I've had a dozen years of unexpected freedom. How has that happened? The answer is surprisingly simple. Within four or five days, the police were committed to the case theory that she, Sue, had done it. It became an unwavering commitment one that took them to trial through the appeals and to which they have resolutely held ever since, up until today. I'll share with you in a little time just how we know that they formed this view so early. But meantime, it's always handy in a death case to have a motive. And they quickly lighted on one, a very old one, a very frequent one, that she killed him for his money. That it was a flimsy motive then, and that it is still a flimsy motive, doesn't matter. It's not just the police who become adherents to the simple and wrongful case theory that was developed within days of Bob Chapel's demise. Others who'd been caught up in it of various politicians and a number of lawyers. And they've remained wedded to this theory, even when the girl, the one who was supposed to be lookout on the yacht, the one who chundered on the yacht, the one who shook on the yacht, the one who needed the red jacket to get back to shore even when she has in subsequent years repeatedly said that she was on the yacht, that she was there with others, and that Sue Neil Fraser was not there. Despite all of that, she's been disbelieved time after time. And so my luck, my very great luck, has held true and strong. But now let me share with you some compelling examples that show how early they became committed to a theory, a wrong theory, as to what had happened on the four winds on the afternoon of Australia Day. You'll remember that I told you in the last episode that we'd um, made a test visit to the four winds A few weeks before, we actually went aboard on Australia Day. And although we hadn't done anything on that occasion, either Bob or Sue, or possibly both, had noticed that somebody had been on the yacht and Sue made a note about that in a diary. Now the police seized that diary and they gave it to one of their crime scene team who did a couple of tests on it and formed the early opinion that it was written in a diary on the date that Sue made the entry. One would have thought that that was clear enough. However, thereafter, the police were keen, whether by themselves or with the help of a lawyer, I don't pretend to know, but they were keen to suggest that this was an after the event. Writing by her, an attempt to throw everyone off the scent, uh, to make it look as though there had been something that had happened on the yacht when nothing of the kind had occurred. As it happens, one of the very first people to approach the police the very day after the incident wanted to tell them about what he'd heard about break-ins of boats. Uh, They were so uninterested in what he had to say that they never bothered to contact him. So they used their own neglect, their own failure to make the sorts of basic inquiries that ought to be made after there's been an unexpected death on a yacht with one person on it on a sunny holiday afternoon. They used the absence of evidence that they should have collected to denigrate a simply written note about a possible break-in on the Four Winds yacht just a few weeks before we went there. This willful and continued failure to engage with the unfolding evidence gets worse when one considers what happens to the DNA that was left in the spew that our lookout girl left on the yacht. Now, in 2009, although the forensic people had uh, properly tested the sample left on the yacht and found DNA in it, they didn't have any DNA in their database with which to match the DNA that they found. However, all that changed in early 2010, a little over a year after our yacht pilfering misadventure, when, as a result of other activities, they were able to match the DNA they'd found in that spew. To our young lookout now it so happens that the scientist who was reporting on this quote match unquote was pretty clear that it's what's called a primary transfer by which is meant that our lookout left it it didn't come via anybody else when it does come via somebody else, it's called a secondary transfer. When it comes directly, it's called a primary transfer. And that's what had happened in this case. She'd spewed. She'd left a sample. The scientists had found her DNA. And now, a bit of a year later, they'd matched her to the DNA they'd found. Now, this is some six months Before Sue Neil Fraser goes to trial for murder in front of a jury, six months in which there was more than enough time to fully investigate the movements of our lookout on Australia Day, along with who she spent time with that day. The police failed to properly investigate her phone records they failed even to talk to all the people who were at the hostel where she was staying around that time. And so it was that she came to the trial and gave evidence that she'd never been on the yacht, never been there nothing like it. That she lied is hardly surprising. Why tell the truth when the penalty for doing so might be rather a long time in an unpleasant jail environment. Now, neglect of evidence, as we've been looking at in this episode, is one thing, but changing the evidence, changing it so that your relevant evidence becomes significant evidence, that's something else. We turn to that in the next episode.